This is Austin Real Estate Investing. Austin Real Estate Investing. We'll be discussing real estate investing in Austin, Texas, and bringing you experts from all different sectors of the real estate game. Your host, Jordan Moorhead, is a real estate agent and investor in Austin and is here to help you get started or to build your portfolio and explore new strategies. Hi, this is Jordan Moorhead. This is Austin Real Estate Investing. Today we've got Connor Olson on. Connor is a newer investor here in the Austin area, and he's also venturing out into the short-term rental realm. We'll have him tell you more about that. But hey, Connor, how are you doing? Doing great, Jordan. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thanks for jumping on, man. I'm excited to see how much progress you've made in such a short amount of time and excited to see what you do in the future. But real quick, if you could tell people a little about who you are, what you're doing right now, and how you're involved in real estate, that'd be awesome. Yeah. So um, I'm a, currently a software developer. I live in Austin. I uh, purchased my house hack late of 2020. Um, so I'm living in that currently. And then I also have a short-term rental cabin in the Smokies under contract right now. Um, so yeah, I'm, my main target market is Airbnb and short-term rentals. So that's a little bit about me. And also I'm uh, in the process of getting my real estate license. So I'm about 90% there looking to wrap that up pretty soon. Yeah. It's a big process in Texas. So it takes a little bit of while. Yeah, definitely. Um, for those listening, I would say the average that I've heard in the United States is about 80 to 90 hours to get your real estate license. And that can take as little as a month or two. In Texas, it's 180 hours plus 98 hours for the first two years. So the first two years in Texas, you almost triple what the rest of the United States takes to get their license. So it, it's a big task. Yeah, definitely. It's been taking a while, but there's a light at the end of the tunnel. I'm almost there. Yeah, no, 90% you're almost there. Um, so real quick, Connor, how did you end up in Austin and why did you choose to start investing in Austin? Yeah, I um, graduated from college with a degree in information systems. So I was looking to start as a software developer. So I got hired on um, as a software developer for General Motors, which is, they have an IT center in North Austin. So yeah, that's how I got started moving to Austin and then um, just slowly look for a place to buy and ended up house hacking. Yeah, which I think is a great strategy to get started in. Um, I personally try to house hack every year or year and a half as soon as I can get it done. And doing that in an expensive market like Austin has been so powerful. You know, everybody thinks, oh, the barrier to entry is so high. It's so hard to get in. Conversely, when you get in and you can get them done, you can increase the value rapidly and pretty immensely when you do some rehabs on these places. And you can live for free or close to for free in an expensive market like Austin. That just compounds on it. You know, you'd be paying... $1,700, $1,800 a month to live somewhere around here. And, you know, I know you're, you're paying pretty low. What do you pay to live in a three-bedroom unit in North Austin out of your pocket? Um, right now, out of my pocket, I just, I ran the numbers prepping for this. Nice. Uh, out of my pocket, uh, 
right now I'm paying $30 a month. So that's rental income minus mortgage. It's $30. So. Wow. Yeah. So you're not going to find anywhere to live anywhere in the United States for $30 a month. So not only is Connor living for $30 a month, but he bought an asset last year. Oh, I forget. Was that 435 that you purchased? Yeah. 435. Fixed up properties in his area like his are selling in the low fives already. So by living for $30 a month, he's made over $100,000, which is awesome. So not only is he saving a ton of money, but he's making a ton of money too. And that's the magic of doing this house hacking strategy in these hot markets. And of course, you can invest other places. So you, know, you can do what Connor's doing, invest in short-term rentals in the Smoky Mountains, really invest wherever you want. But I, I personally think that there's no reason to not take advantage of house hacking wherever you are because it's so powerful. So I love that. Yeah, absolutely. I think the the most surprising thing because you know early 2021 market has been so crazy right now, but um, I just pulled like some online estimates. So I pulled like Zillow, Realtor Estimate, some of those websites, and I kind of just want to get a feel for what my house is going for on those uh, based on what they estimate. And basically, I make more in the past six months than I do in a year based on appreciation. So. Definitely, I'm glad I jumped in. I know it's like a fluke that things have appreciated this much, but I would have expected those returns over you know, a three-year period in Austin. I don't think that's unrealistic. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and I think you know, going back to the how little you're paying to live, the magic of that that a bunch of people really overlook is not only are you only paying that much to live, but you're saving all that extra money and even if you're just in Texas and you're just paying federal taxes, let's say you're paying 30% on your income. So you want to save 1600 bucks, you really need to make around $2,000. So mm -hmm. it's just so powerful. You know, you don't have to go out and get a raise. You don't have to go out and get a new job. All you have to do is live in a, a house hack and you save all that extra money and you can invest and do stuff like buy rentals in the Smokies and and do all that cool stuff. So I, the first year house hacking for me, I, I bought another rental property. I went to Italy. I bought a motorcycle. I just had so much money. I didn't know what to do with it because I was used to paying 1100 bucks for a one bedroom apartment. And mm -hmm. I just think that's so awesome. So what attracted you to real estate investing initially, Connor? I know you were talking about you wanted to buy a house, but you absolutely shifted paths and said, hey, I want to be a real estate investor. Yeah. So um, I've always been a little bit of an entrepreneurial person. Mm -hmm. And with a degree in uh, and working in software development, I always thought like, oh, I could create an application. I could, you know, do something on the side that would really take off. The problem that I realized is I'm not creative enough to come up with a cool app that people really need. And it's um, it's just been difficult for me to find a little niche in the software developing world. So when I learned about real estate investing, I learned that basically you're buying a business and it's not like you have to create the next Uber or the next app that's going to disrupt everything so you can make a ton of money. You're buying a business that there are hundreds of books written about. Yeah. And it's, it's very like there's a path laid forward. There's tons of podcasts. There's tons of information out there. There's articles, there's blogs. So it's really 
I found is really good for someone who's entrepreneurial, but maybe not super creative in coming up with ways to be entrepreneurial. Yeah, I love that. I've also found personally that it's kind of the, the poor man's way to get rich. Like you don't need to, like you said, be really creative and figure out how to make an app or you don't need to have a lot of money to get started. All you need to have is a little bit of money to buy a house hack or to buy your first rental property and once you can get in that, you can start leveraging that and just growing, growing, growing. So I love, 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 love real estate investing for that reason. Most real estate investors I know who built a ton of wealth over time didn't start with a lot of money. Um, and it's just so cool because that it's just so easy to, to get into and there's so much leverage in it. And like you said, there's so many books and there's so many podcasts. There's so many meetup groups and there's so many other people doing it that it's easy to learn. It's not easy necessarily to get over that hump and buy that first one. But I think as, as you found, once you buy the first one, you're kind of hooked and it just gets easier and easier the more you do. Yeah, definitely. I've found that with every step of the process, it was very daunting going into it. Like writing my first offer, I spent like an hour reading the whole document, understanding everything and it was very nerve wracking and I was shaking, you know, like accepting it and everything. But once you get the first one down, the next offer is easier. And then, you know, maybe you go into an option period and you're really nervous about the home inspection and all that stuff. And then our first option period ended up falling through. So then the next time we got under contract, like it just got easier and easier and easier the whole way through. So yeah, definitely it's tough to get started, but once you get the ball rolling, it's pretty easy to keep going. Well, and, you know, you say that you're not creative, but what I saw you do that I don't see everybody else do is you figured out how to optimize what you had at that duplex. So obviously you guys moved into a unit, you were having a baby, you had a lot of stuff going on. Um, so you have a nice space for yourself, but you figured out how to optimize the other space. You know, I know when you bought that place, I want to say, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I probably am, I want to say it was renting for thirteen or 1400 for the other space. And now it was 1200 Yeah, okay, so I was wrong. Um, so now you've more than, more than doubled that. Mm -hmm. And you really just beefed up the cash flow there. So how did you figure that out? How did you approach that to maximize what you had? Have you wanted to be part of GoBundance, the tribe of millionaires, but just haven't hit that millionaire status yet? Well, now you can, not even being a millionaire, by joining our new program, GoBundance Emerge. My name's Jamie Gruber, creator of GoBundance Emerge and member of the GoBundance community. And now you can join. GoBundance.com slash emerge. GoBundance.com slash emerge. Use code Jordan for $100 off this 12-week goal-setting program and mastermind that'll propel you to being a whole-life millionaire. Yeah. So. Um Going back a little bit in college, I had a uh, an internship in DC, and I didn't know anything about DC. I didn't know where to live. I didn't know how to find an apartment. And the problem with finding an apartment is no one wants to sign a lease for two months. My my internship was ten weeks long, and it's really difficult to find a place to live for ten weeks. Mm -hmm. So then I naturally just started looking at Airbnbs. And um, the nice thing at Airbnbs is you know you set a start date, you set an end date, and then you just have those dates, and then you know, you're pretty flexible based on that. So I ended up for this internship, I used Airbnb for it and I paid a premium, but I also needed something that was fully furnished because I was only going to be there 
a short time. So I didn't want to go find a bed, go find a dresser, whatever, get all the kitchen stuff going. So it's more of a hassle um, than I realized. So Airbnb was definitely the way to go for me. And then um, I realized when I moved to Austin that um, it's appreciating so fast and that the rents really just don't keep up with the price of the homes. So when I when we bought the house, is a duplex, and both sides were renting for it was bringing in twenty four hundred a month, and our mortgage payment was about like twenty two fifty. So once we moved into one side, we would lose half of our money. So then we'd be getting twelve hundred on one side on a twenty two hundred dollar mortgage, and that you know that's good. Like you're getting appreciation; it's not bad. But then I realized that you know if you could put something on Airbnb. I could potentially double my rent. Mm-hmm. So when we were shopping around, I just decided to start going on Airbnb. And then I found this little area. And then on this block where I currently live, there's two Airbnbs and that one guy owns them. And each of them are fully rented for the next four months at all times. So I was like, there's a market for this. Obviously I'm the person who's benefited from this in the past. So there's gotta be other people who might need it in similar situations. So we ended up going for it. And then, yeah, it's worked out great since then. The interesting thing so far, we've had uh, three guests over the last like six months because mm-hmm. we, we have longer stays um, and we can get more into that, why we do that in a minute. But um, two of those people, two of those different sets of guests were there because they were trying to buy a house in Austin. And as you know, you could put in 10 offers and get like beaten out by an all cash offer of a hundred thousand over asking. So it, it takes a long time to buy a house in Austin. You need to be patient for it. And so people don't know how long it's going to take. It's not like you could write a bunch of offers and then, you know, have be able to pick, you know, five different choices if you wanted to. So you need to really plan ahead. And that's, what people end up doing is they they come here, they figure out where they want to live, and then they have to keep putting in offers in different parts of town. They also want to see like what's North Austin, like what's South Austin, what's East Austin. So people want to come to the area and they also want to see, get a feel for what it's like. And they also need the time to put in the effort to get all those offers in and ultimately find a home. Awesome. I have a few questions about that. So uh, first, why do you do longer stay rentals? I know I've done some Airbnb before. I more enjoy doing the longer stay Airbnbs, but that was the only reason that I did the longer stay. Yeah, so um, Austin, like many popular cities, are cracking down on short-term rentals mm-hmm. because uh, it really takes a lot of money away from the hotels. And I'm sure hotels have a big say in you know, the local politics of each individual city and tourism, stuff like that. So Austin limits um, their short-term rentals, the number of short-term rental license they give out per year. And so it's kind of difficult to get it. We're actually in the process of getting the short-term rental license. So we'll see how that goes. I applied for it maybe uh, two weeks ago, and I've heard it takes anywhere from six to eight weeks to hear back. So wait on that. But um, Austin defines a short-term rental, anything under 30 days. So in Airbnb, it's nice. You can just go in and you set your minimum stay for 30 days or more. 
So basically in the eyes of the city, we're just renting it out month to month, but it just happens to be furnished. And we just happen to put it on a website like Airbnb. So that's how we get around the short-term rental uh, licensing issue. You do lose revenue. Obviously, if someone's going to stay there longer, then you need to lower your price a little bit because they're not just staying there for two nights, you know, Friday, Saturday, whatever. So we do get longer stays, but there's also less vacancy and less turnovers. So in terms of the amount of effort you have to put in, I'd say it's a lot less effort than having a short-term rental. So I know, uh, I know that's going to be a question a lot of people have. So what's your typical interaction with the guests when they're there for a month? Are you hearing from them every day? You're hearing from every couple of days, every week? What's your experience been with the guests when they're there for a month at a time? Yeah, so far, um, we have only heard from them uh, maybe like four times. And we've been doing this for four months, three or four months. So one of the times they were like, hey, there were our first people in there. And we're like, hey, if you know, we tried to stock this as well as we could, if you see anything you want, let us know. They're like, hey, it'd be great if we had a toaster. I'm like, great, we'll buy you a toaster. And then the other couple of times we had some problems with our dryer and they're like, hey, the dryer doesn't work. They're like, okay, we'll send someone out. And then, you know, that's pretty much it. You don't. They're not asking questions about places to eat. I guess they're they're kind of getting a feel for the area. They're doing their own thing. They're basically just renting an apartment is what they they see like. So if you think about how often you talk to your landlord when you're renting an apartment, you really don't unless something breaks. So it's been pretty pretty easy. Yeah, no, that sounds like a typical interaction that I have with a long-term tenant. It's just, I only hear from when something breaks. So yeah, the dryer's not working or hey, the air conditioner's not working, something like that. Um, yeah, it really doesn't sound like a lot. So, you know, I had a question about the monthly rentals. You said you're working with a lot of people that want to buy houses. So let's say they book the stay for two months and then you have another person book for two months after them. What happens if the two months or what kind of feedback have you gotten from your tenants when the two months expires and they don't have a house yet? Yeah, it, um, it seems like they, in my experience, they have like the two months planned out and they kind of have, they rotate stays a little bit. Mm-hmm. So let's say they're giving themselves six months to find a house. They might have three Airbnbs lined up. And then let's say they find a house after four months, then they'll just cancel the third Airbnb. So we haven't had, like they've sometimes they've asked to extend it, but we already have people lined up and we say, sorry, you know, if they fall through, we'll let you know. But, you know, other than that, they kind of have to, they know it's, it's just really a long process. So we kind of just don't have control over that. Sure. And I think, um, you know, the biggest question a landlord is going to have is, hey, what does this do to my vacancy? So what has your experience been like with booking people and how far out are you booked? And, you know, have you come into any situations where you don't have somebody coming up and how do you fix that? Yeah, so um, we listed, we started listing in June, and then within 24 hours, we had six months booked. So I was, I was very surprised. I did not think that uh, 
there was that much demand. But at the same time, I was like, maybe I should have raised the rents. You know, maybe it was too cheap. So that's what we're trying to figure out the right price point. Um, so we've had that so far. Um, we actually just had the last booking of this year. They just canceled and something fell through. Um, the nice thing about Airbnb when you do monthly rentals is the first month's rent is their deposit. So if they cancel the reservation, you get the first month's rent. Oh wow! Yeah. So then you 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 have the you know the space freed up as well, so you can re-rent it out. So um, so that's also a big perk of Airbnb. Um, right now we're kind of in the middle of uh, pricing out 2022 because I'm hoping to have the short-term rental license going to effect January 1st, 2022. So I kind of want to price it higher for the monthly rental side, just in, just so that when I get the short-term rental license, I don't have like four months booked out at a lower rate than I could get as a short-term rental. So I'm kind of in this uh, weird limbo spot where the future is pretty open, but that's because I have a higher price set. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So going back to price there too, what is your average rate for a month? So we, you were renting it for 1200 when you bought the place. What's your average rate monthly? Yeah, uh, right now I'm making $21.90 a month. Wow. And that, uh, in terms of furnishing, it's a two bedroom, one bath. And we furnished it for under $5,000. Nice. So that's a pretty good payback period. That yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Um, so if if you were a first-time house hacker, what's the advice you would give to a first-time house hacker looking in Austin right now? I know you know you've got this idea of do do medium-term rentals. That's what I call monthly rentals, medium term. Um, obviously, if you can get the short-term rental license, those are great. But let's say you were talking to a first-time house hacker that wanted to buy a duplex in Austin. What's your advice right now? Uh, my advice right now is uh, if you're willing to do the typical one-year lease and you're okay with the lower revenue, but maybe less of a headache, then I would say go for it. But I would say definitely give the medium-term rental thing a shot because we literally doubled our like our annual revenue overnight and it's it's pretty crazy like looking at the numbers once we move out we're expecting like a eight percent cash on cash return in austin which when we bought it would have been like a negative eight percent cash on cash return so it's really it's a little more work but it's not crazy like we message them maybe 10 times over two months it it doesn't take that much effort so i definitely think there's a, a high need for it for a lot of different kinds of people like the people who need to buy a house or traveling nurses or people who are now work from home and they're like i just want to try out different cities and i want to travel so i think it's a little more work but it's not it's not that hard it really isn't yeah no i mean it, I, I like to go to airbnbs and other places for a month and I really enjoy going there. And I don't want to talk to the landlord almost ever. I just, I just want to almost live there. And yeah, if something breaks, I'm going to call them. But I think that's going to be more and more of a thing with all this remote work and hybrid work and 
that people have more flexibility here in the future. So I'm a big fan of doing it myself. I can see why other people would be too. Um, so, you know, back to advice for Austin. So what's your best advice for people looking to break into the Austin market right now? So let's say you just moved here from New York or San Francisco. What's your best advice for that person? Um, just like house hacking or just purchasing a house in general? Just, I think all of the above. So you've been really creative in the ways you've approached it. So like you said, if you would have rented it out on a monthly basis, it wouldn't have been a great deal, but you fit, or sorry, a yearly basis, it wouldn't have been a great deal, but you identified the gaps and the opportunities in the Austin market. So if somebody's new to Austin, what should they do if they're looking to start house hacking or investing or just buy a house? Hey guys, this is Jordan Moorhead here. And I wanted to ask if you could do a huge favor for me. If you could go leave a review for this podcast, wherever you're listening to it, that would really help me get this into the hands of other people that are interested in information about Austin real estate investing. And I'd be able to help more people. Thanks guys. Yeah. So I would say, um, look at, try to get a, a feel for the prices in your area. And you can find like the yearly prices maybe on like apartments.com and that's like your typical rental. Or maybe you could go, there's a number of websites where you can book things like VRBO, booking.com, Airbnb, but there's also one uh, called Furnish Finders that's specifically targeted toward traveling nurses. Um, so I'd say there's a lot of different avenues where you could go and you could find what things are renting for in your area and you could figure out if things, if you're making, if you can make a good return in Austin. The nice thing about Austin is it's appreciating so rapidly. Um, I mean, my long-term goal would be maybe do Airbnb for five to 10 years on this duplex. And then once the rents catch up, you could just sell off all the furniture. And if you want something more passive, you just make a long-term rental. Once the rent to price ratio is more, in line and you could get the cash flow that you want. So I think if you're playing the long game, Austin is a great market for it. But um, yeah, it's just difficult to get over that negative cash flow in the short term. Yeah, no, I, I like I said, I, I really want to commend you. you. You said, hey, this won't work super well, this long-term rental. And you know what? You, you can make long-term rentals work in Austin. They typically need lots of rehab. Um, the place I'm in right now, the duplex needed a tremendous amount of rehab to make a long-term rental work. But you said, hey, monthly rentals work great. And the rates are gonna only go up for that because people need places to stay for a month, whether they're traveling here for work or they're trying to find a house here. Um, and I really like that. I just really like what you're doing there. I think. Personally, in Austin, I want to keep, like you said, it's appreciating so rapidly. I want to see how much exposure can I have to Austin for the least amount of money down. And house hacking is kind of the answer there. So how do I keep racking up properties in Austin for three and a half, five, 15% down? And maybe I do monthly rentals on, or maybe I do long-term rentals. But, you know, if I'm locked into an area that's growing so rapidly there's so many companies moving here all the time there's 
events. I mean, last year, you guys are getting the Airbnb license at the right time. Last year, there wasn't South by Southwest or ACL or any of the conferences that happened here. But I think as this COVID thing gets under control a little more, more and more and more of that are going to start happening. And the demand for short-term rentals is going to go through the roof here in Austin. Not that it's not high right now, but it's only going to get bigger. So do you have, you, you were talking about all these books you read and books that are out there for real estate investing. Is, do you have a favorite business or mindset book that you've read? Yeah, I would say the best um, real estate book I've read is Long Distance Real Estate Investing. Mm -hmm. Even if you're not looking to go into long distance real estate investing, the whole book is just about processes and how you set up processes with different uh, you know, real estate agents, um, property managers, you know, basically just having everything set up. So even if you're investing in your own backyard, it's great to have those processes set up. So that's definitely the best real estate investing book I can recommend. And then um, I also really like Set for Life by Scott Trench. Yeah. That book, that book is, uh, it's a little bit about personal finance and a little bit about house hacking. And really, uh, like you mentioned earlier, it goes into the fact that if you save on your expenses, it's really better than getting a pay raise. Mm -hmm. um, so that really, you know, drives that point home and shows how effective house hacking could be. So those are my top two books right now. Yeah, I love both those books. I really like what you said about, you know, personal finance and set for life. I think if you want to be a successful real estate investor, no matter what, you have to get your finances in order first. I know there's other ways to use other people's money or, or get uh, lines of credit. There's all these other ways to get other money, but it's way easier to do all of this if you have your finances in order. If your living expenses are really low and your, your earning is really high, that's the magic formula for being really successful in real estate investing. I don't think that gets talked about enough. You know, we're always talking about how to do deals, how to do more deals, all these awesome mm -hmm. deals. Doing deals, especially when you get started, it's a funny conundrum, real estate investing. But to get started, you almost always need your own money. And just to get going and show that you can do this thing, it works a lot easier if you have your own money. It's when you have a lot of your own money that it becomes a lot easier to raise money from other people or to get partners and come in on other stuff. You, you end up not needing a lot of money once you've done a few deals and you have a lot of money. So mm -hmm. and get your finances together. I love books like Set for Life that teach you how to do that. But if you can get your finances together, you're going to be infinitely more successful in real estate because people are going to trust you more too, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm looking to invest with you and I see you driving around a Ferrari and I see you putting everything on credit cards and you know you just have trouble keeping up with your monthly bills. I'm going to be a little concerned, mm -hmm. but yeah, know, hey, Connor's got his shit together. He's, you know, living for $30 a month. Um, that just makes you a lot more comfortable that, that you're also going to guard somebody else's money, just like you guard your own. So I really, really like books like Set for Life that talk about getting your finances together and managing your money. And I think that's going to make everything so much easier further down the line. So awesome recommendation. Yeah, definitely. I've, I read a, 
quite a bit of personal finance books and I also listen to personal finance podcasts. And the first step of everyone of saying, how do I improve my finances? It's always spend less than you make. And if you spend the same as you make, if you spend more than you make, you will always be in a hole and you'll never get ahead. So definitely that, that book drives that point home. So yeah, I like that a lot. Um, Wendy Papazan here in Austin, who's also on this podcast and owns a bunch of rentals mentioned set for life too. And I think, you know, stuff like set for life profit first is another really good book. And that just mm-hmm. talks about taking a chunk out of every paycheck or every commission check, whatever you got and throwing that in the investment savings account first. So just take mm-hmm. some aside, put it aside right away. So you don't even see it. It's gone, but it's mm-hmm. getting invested over time and grow over time. So um, really big fan about that stuff. I could talk about set for life, profit first, that whole money management piece all day that we we better get going. Um, <laughs> Connor, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? I know you're on social media. I know you've, you're here in Austin. So what's the best way you have for people to reach out to you? Yeah, so the best way to reach me on social media is on Instagram. Uh, my handle is olson.connor and olson is O-L-S-E-N dot C-O-N-N-E-R. So uh, yeah, that's the best way in social media. You can also reach out to me by uh, my cell phone. Uh, you could just call or text me. I'm always down to talk about real estate investing in Austin. Um, so give me a call. My phone number is 702-521-0034. So yeah, I'm always loving to talk about real estate. Um, if anyone's looking for an agent, I'm getting licensed soon. So if you just need market insights, you know, you already have an agent you just want to talk something over, I'm always down. So yeah, reach out. Awesome. And last question, the most important question we ask here, what is your favorite restaurant in Austin? Yes, that is a, that's a tough one. I have two. So my favorite food truck is called T-Locks. It's on Burnett. It's on North Burnett. So it's in like a little food truck parking lot and it's Sonoran hot dogs, which I don't know if you've had those before. It is um, a hot dog that comes out of, I think it's, it comes out of Arizona. Can't remember which city, but it's a sweet bun. And then there's a hot dog wrapped in bacon with like guacamole, mayonnaise, sour cream, jalapenos all on top. And it's the best hot dog I've ever had. So definitely check that out. Yeah. Uh, I think they also might have a spot at the new uh, football the the new soccer stadium so yeah that's definitely great and then my favorite restaurant is uh via 313 it's a it's a pizza chain that does this detroit style pizza and i've never had detroit style before and it is fantastic i'm completely converted it's so good i love via 313 all right thank you so much for coming on here today connor i'm sure we will talk soon and again Our guests are really going to appreciate this. Thanks, Jordan.